Good morning, Scott's Edition. Love you guys. Come on, good morning, the men and women of Chesterfield County Jail. Love you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, we're in a series on King David called David the Great. I'll tell you a little bit about that, more about that in just a second, but love to look in the back of the room at the camera, say good morning to everybody online, uh, getting your last minute beach trips in at the end of the summer. We're mad at you. Come home. Uh, but uh, also so excited about what God's doing at the chapel in Richmond, Scott's edition. Love the team there and all our church family. Pray for you every day. And then, of course, the men and women of Chesterfield County Jail. We're still kind of um, just amazed at what God did a couple weeks ago. Um, there are so many really cool God things happening in the jail. In fact, when we were with, the, just tell you one of them, we, we had a chance uh, two or three weeks ago to baptize 40 men and women. We did two different services, one for the women and one for the men. And um, before the women's service, I got a chance to meet a lady in our church who said, my daughter goes to your church in Scott's edition. And, and, and it was just like part of our family in the jail, part of our family on the weekends in Scott's edition. And it's so fun. And I got to meet a couple guys who said that we were getting out in four weeks and they were going to come to the 1115 service. So that means in one week, I'm going to see you and make sure you say hello to us. We can't wait to see you. Uh, Hey, uh, like you've heard, so many cool things happening, but uh, one of the values of our church is prayer, and so uh, there's nothing we can do and, uh, but pray until we've prayed, and so we're in this great season, had an incredible first week of participation. We'd love to have you check it out one morning with us. We start week two tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. online or in person in Midlothian, and I, I gotta tell you, 21 days of prayer is a dream come true. I'm a morning person. 21 days of prayer is a dream come true for me. Every morning with our church family, 7 a.m., I get, I get a venti pike at, at Starbucks at the drive-thru and drive to church. And I always, Katie always tells me, back it off a little because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up in the morning. And she's like, don't be that guy. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. Proverbs says, if you greet your neighbor loudly in the morning, it will be a curse to you. So where are my morning people? Come on, morning people. So, so we got to pull it off a little, just pull it back a little, you know, when we're greeting the other uh, um, sluggards in our life. And, but we'd love to have you join us one morning for prayer. So thankful for all God's doing. Well, we're in this series called David the Great, looking at King David. 66 chapters of the Bible tell his story. In fact, his name is uh, used 59 times in the New Testament. Most Old Testament... Uh, you know, uh, share near narrative dedicated to his life. The second is Abraham, only 14 chapters. So 66 narrative chapters of David, about 75 letter, uh, uh, Psalms he wrote or songs in the book of Psalms. So like 130 chapters in the old Testament are either written by him or about him. And it's an incredible story of how God used him in an incredible way. In fact, Chronicles kind of summarizes his life saying that God used King David in such an incredible way that his fame went out into all the lands and in fact all the nations around them saw the might and the military power and the way God expanded the people of God's uh, Israel's influence in the world through David's life and so we're calling it David the great just so you know David was only great because his God was great okay but God used David in some great ways and God can use us in some great ways if we'll understand uh, what he has for us last week we launched that of how God chooses a king and he looks at the heart of 
outward, outward people, the culture looks at the outside. God looks at the heart. How many know that the challenge of being great isn't getting the outside all right. It's getting the inside taken care of, right? And David was a man after God's own heart, and God used him in incredible ways. And, and so we're going to look at that. Next week, I can't wait, we're going to talk about 1 Samuel 30, how David went from discouraged to encouraged. Four ways you can get discouraged will get us discouraged next week. And then three ways to get out of it. And so if you're discouraged or know someone that is, we'll look right at David's life from 1 Samuel 30 next week. But I want to talk to you about the gap between when God anointed David king last week <laughs> And when he appointed David king later on. Because you would think, you remember where we left off last week, that God came to Jesse and his eighth son, David, came before uh, the prophet Samuel. And Sam, God said, this is the man. And yet, you would, you, David doesn't become king right after that. <laughs> There's a gap of about 15 years between when David was anointed king and when David was appointed king. In fact, right after he's anointed king, I want you to see what happens right where we picked off last week. Saul, the current king, he, he said, find someone who plays the harp well enough to come and comfort me. He was tormented at night and he wanted a musician. And so one of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse who knows how to play the lyre. The lyre is a small guitar or like a ukulele. I'm actually not totally sure what it is but it's something like that and he said he's a brave man and a warrior but the lord is with him i love those words describing david wouldn't you like it to get out around town that the lord is with you how great is that like hey about david the lord's with that guy wow what a what words to be said and saul sent messengers to De jesse and said send me your son david but i want you to notice where david was right after he was anointed king come on somebody he was with the what with the sheep <laughs> i think one of the ways that god develops character in our life is not just the promises he puts in our life but our faithfulness in the ordinariness of life and so God, we're going to look at all the incredible things God did in David's life in the next few weeks. But I want you to see there are four things God developed. He put him in a process to develop some things on the inside of him so he could do some things on the outside of him. How many know God is not interested only in doing things through us? He's interested in doing some things to us and in us, right? And in fact, unless God can build into the character of David some humility and some vulnerability, and some patience and all this God can't use him in a great way and God oftentimes the future of how God uses us is determined by our faithfulness of whether or not we're able to not only hear the promise of God but stay faithful in the field watching the sheep so David's anointed he's still got the, the oil on his forehead and God's like guess where you're going come on you're going back to work the night shift with the sheep you know and so literally Jesse, Jesse sent for him and his son David came to Saul. Let me give you four things God did in David's life and he wants to do them in ours to use us in a great way. And if you're taking notes, write these down. If you're not taking notes, write these down today. Here it goes. Come on, the first thing God wants to do in David's life is, come on, develop, say it out loud. I don't even like the word. I don't even want to say it. Develop patience. Where are my impatient people? Come on, impatient. I, I want to know. I want it on time. I want it. I want to find the shortest line at Target. We walk into a restaurant. They say it's a 30 minute wait. I say, well, I, let's leave. And Katie says, it'll take 20 minutes to get somewhere else. And I'll say, yeah, but at least I'm moving. I don't want to. 
Come on, where are the impatient? Like just, imp- hey, I mean, just like, and, and God speaks some things to David's life, but it's 15 years before those things will happen. And I think God wants to work in our lives through patience. God's going to develop some things in David's life, but it's going to take a willingness to trust God's timing, to trust God's wisdom, to learn the biblical principle of patience. In fact, in Galatians 5, when God lists the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is patience. What a terrible one. If I could replace it, if I was writing the book of Galatians, I would replace patience with efficiency. But the fruit of the Spirit is efficiency. I like making lists. In fact, one of my favorite things, about if, if I, I would put making lists on a list of make, making lists. Who are the people? I like making lists. Kitty's like, you got all these lists. I know, I just want to cross some things out. I want to get some things. I just want to, I want to get, I want to, I want to redeem the time. Come on, I'm a Christian, but I don't drive like it. And, uh, you know, God has to teach David some patience in his life. Yes, I'm going to put you in the palace one day. I'm going to raise you to influence as a king, but I have to develop some things on the inside of you. I'm developing some things in the background of your life. I'm teaching you patience. You know, the Chinese bamboo plant is an interesting plant. They said when you plant it, it's a nut, and you put it under the soil. For five years, nothing occurs above the soil. And, and you can water it and fertilize it. And what happens is the nut cracks and the roots begin to develop from this plant. But nothing grows above the soil. But in the sixth year, it's interesting, they say, that it can literally grow 90 feet within six weeks. So literally a plant that nothing happens for years and then in just a month or so it sprouts up to almost a hundred feet. How many know this is oftentimes what the will of God looks like in our life, right? Like it's like God God feels like he's doing nothing. I don't understand it. I'm impatient. Let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, uh, uh, and yet God is working underneath the soil in our life and he's developing some things in our life. We need to learn patience because God, how many know God is working even in our waiting, right? And God speaks some things in David's life that he doesn't directly bring to pass because he's accomplishing some things. We're going to look at what God's doing in his life, but he's teaching him patience. Katie and I were flying back about a year ago from Dallas. And uh, it's, it's always interesting to me. They keep you in line six feet apart. Then they jam you every seat in a plane. I have a lot to say, but I won't. This is self-control right here, but... Every 15 minutes, the pilot said over the speaker, we're just working on the routine maintenance, 15 more minutes, and then 15 minutes would pass. Routine maintenance, 15 more minutes, and the guy in front of me is coughing, and the guy behind me is coughing. And I mean, I, I got COVID and lost it in the same waiting, you know, room. And uh, 15, I mean, just on and on and on. And, and finally, after two hours of sitting on this plane, they say, it's two hours, you have to get, I didn't know there's a rule. If you wait on the tarmac for two hours, they take you off the plane. This guy in front of me was real upset. And I kind of was, he was, have you ever had somebody upset and you felt good about it? You were like, he's expressing my feelings. And you're speaking to the person at the desk, this is ridiculous. You should have gotten that plane off the ground. And the, and the worker said, literally, uh, sir, the mechanics couldn't get one of the engines to work. And I kind of went from backing him to like, I don't get this guy, you know, (laughs) crickets, crickets. How many know there are reasons that God makes us wait in moments of life because he understands some things that we don't under, let's take a vote this weekend. How many agree God is smarter than you? Come on, turn to the person next to you and tell them God is smarter than you. Come on. 
Come on, Scott's edition. Tell him God is smarter than you. And that means sometimes we're waiting, sometimes we're in the in-between, sometimes we don't understand some things, but we serve a God who's infinitely loving and infinitely wise, and we have to learn to trust his timing. Isaiah 55 says, his ways are higher than our ways. Romans chapter 11 says, oh, the the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God, who can fathom his ways? Job, when he finally asked all these questions, God told him, put a hand over your mouth. Where were you when I made the stars? Where were you when I put the sand in place? Here's what God was saying, I am God, you are not, right? In fact, that would be a great way to start your relationship with God. Theology 101, there is a God and I am not him, right? And God develops patience in our life. That's what he wanted to do in David's life. He not only wanted to develop patience, and I wish this wasn't the next one. We're gonna, it's gonna be so encouraging next week, but this week is just, it's just, he wants to do some things in our character, <laughs> There are some things in David's life God has to develop, and he sends him back to the sheep field. He sends him back to his flocks. He sends him back to the, to the non-glamorous, marginalized, day and night monotony of watching sheep. But it's there that God's going to develop some things in David's life. And the first thing he's developing in his life is this love for worship. See, David's learning to play the harp and he's learning to sing songs and it's laying in the pastures that he gets some songs that he writes. Like, you know what? God is a shepherd. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. He got to be in green path. And David begins to write songs. And Not only that, he sees the sky and the hills and the mountains. And he writes words like this. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Let me just pause for a second. Paul says in Romans 1 and verse 20 that for people who have never seen the Bible, they can still know there's a God. And he says, how can that be true? Because you can literally look at the brilliance of creation and you can tell there is a God, okay? How many know we have some beautiful sunsets around here? I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I didn't see a sunset till I was 34. (laughs) Every sunset, I'm like, I can't believe that. Have you ever seen a sunset and thought there is a God? Have you ever gone to the beach and thought there is a God? Have you ever looked at an Alabama running back and thought there is a God? Heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. That sun rises at one end of the heavens, makes a circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. Here's what David is saying. When I look at the sun, and I look at the hills and I look at the moon and I look at the wonder and I look at the sea I'm just going to sing songs of praise and worship to God how many know the heavens declare the glory of God and David learned the development of his worship gift not on a stage but in a field not in front of people but in front of sheep he learned to worship God not only did he learn to worship God he learned to protect his sheep And there would be predators, wolves, and lions, and bears. And so David discovered that easier than fighting them hand to hand, you could could learn a a slingshot. And you could protect these these sheep. In fact, you remember the story in 1 Samuel 17? In fact, when we say David, you think of what? David and, come on, David and. Yeah, Goliath, the giant, came taunting the armies of the living God for 40 days. 
Saul, by the way, Saul and Eliab, David's older brother, who should have been up for the battle, they were too weak and, and fearful. But David shows up delivering lunch and he's like, I'll do it. And what gave him the confidence? Here's what David said to Saul. He said, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear would come after the sheep from the flock, I'd strike it and rescue the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I'd seize it by its hair, struck and kill it. I mean, this is a bad man. What would you do with the sheep? I'd throw some rocks at it. I'd grab, for real? You know, I'm afraid of a rabid cat. But your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them to me because he has defied the armies of the living God. Here's the point. David learned to sing songs of worship in the field. But David also learned to throw stones in the field. And it would be that skill that would convince King Saul that David could fight this battle and would begin to extend David's influence in Israel. Here's what I'm saying. In the middle of our waiting, God is developing some things in our life. He's maturing us, developing character. And we have to learn that in the fields of life, God is still shaping us, right? I mean, we all want to get it on the platform, but God's using the behind the scenes in David's life to turn this shepherd singer rock slinger that's good isn't it i worked on that all week no one cares and uh singer rock slinger i mean i mean he god's god's working some things not just on the stage but off the stage god's working some things in the dark rooms of life some of you that are younger don't know about dark rooms okay it's how film used to be produced you used to have to wait till till you took your film somewhere to figure out if the picture was good how many remember that and you'd be like oh grandma had her finger in the lens you know till later anybody remember the days where if you opened it too early it, it exposed the whole film okay uh whatever and uh but here's the point you take that 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 film into a dark room and back behind the scenes where no one could see God, something was being developed and i think that's how god oftentimes works in our life not on the stage but in the dark in the places that are hidden he develops character in our lives right amen well, it's interesting. So Saul, Saul and David, we're skipping over a little bit of it, but David starts playing the harp for Saul and Saul will get mad at him. He's a mad king. He's a wild king, a crazy king. And he actually throws spears at David as he's playing a music for him. David, Saul is an insecure leader. He's a jealous leader. And, and he, he tries to kill David a few times. And David actually goes on the run for Saul. And there's an interesting story that Saul has taken 3,000 warriors and he's searching for David and David and his men are hiding and and the Bible says that Saul came to the sheep bends along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself okay so how many know the Bible is real it's a road trip and uh Saul stopped at a rest stop okay but he doesn't know that David and his men are back in the far part of the cave as he goes into the bathroom and David and his men, David's men, look at what they say to David. This is the day the Lord has spoken of when he said to you, I'm going to make you the king. This is the best thing ever. He's in here going to the bathroom. 
And he doesn't know we're here. We just kill him. Well, you'll get right to the throne. This will solve anything. And David actually gets an idea. And he creps up unnoticed and cuts off a corner of, of Saul's robe. In fact, when Saul gets far away, David holds it up and says, I was in that cave. Saul, everyone's telling you I want to oppose you. I could have killed you. And he didn't. And Saul has this humble moment where he says, David, you're better than me. And David literally says this, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, and lay a hand on him. Now, I'm going to give you the third thing that is, I think, indispensable to God's work in our life. And I understand this is not going to be a, a very um, popular thing in our culture because we live in a day of, of um, unbelievable individualism. But I'm just going to give you what I think the Bible says. And then next week, I'm going to encourage you. So the next eight minutes, I'm going to step on your toes. And then next week, I'm going to come back and encourage you, okay? But how many want to be a part of a church that teaches all the Bible? The parts we like, the parts we don't like. All right, so here's the, here's the third thing. And I'm telling you, if we don't get this one, it short circuits God's plan for our life. And I know it's not popular, and I know I should have skipped it, and I know I should have gotten to the David and Goliath, kill your giant, rah, 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 go get some coffee. But I just want to teach the whole Bible, because one of the things God does in preparing David's life is he teaches him the principle of honoring delegated authority. And I think one of the things God does in our life is teaches us to honor both divine and human authority. And I feel like the people that God uses the most in life are the people who have been, who have been, had a humble heart and they're willing to live under authority. And I know we live in a world that says, you know, tell your teacher off and, 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 and cuss off authorities and be rude to your boss and say this to the officer and do it. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you when I read the Bible, it says to have a gentle and a humble spirit and that there are authorities put in place by God. In fact, Romans 13 says the authorities put in, 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 in place humanly are put there by God. In fact, I'm going to say something and just offend everybody. And then next week, I'll encourage you. The presidents that arise to power are put there by God. And, and here's what I'm saying. When the guy gets in that you like, it's great. And the guy gets in that you don't. But I grew up with, with a grandpa who served in the military. And it's like, you stand up. If the president's, an, I don't care if you voted for him or yes, sir, miss. Like, it's just there's a, there's a sense of honor and respect. Even if I don't appreciate the, the decisions of the office, I honor the office. And I think this is a biblical principle. In fact, it's interesting. David is anointed king and he comes and Saul says to him, you can't, you can't go fight Goliath even though David's going to be the king. And you would think David would be like, oh, I'm going to be the king. Get over it, Saul. But he actually refers to Saul as this, or refers to himself in Saul's presence as your servant. He has a sense of humility, a sense of honoring authority. And I know this is like unpopular, especially among younger people, like stick it to the man, uh, 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 rage against that. Don't do, I'm just telling you this, you'll never rise to the place of influence that God has for you until you learn to respect the boss, even when you disagree with him. Until you learn to honor. And David has this in his spirit. I got to keep going because there's so much I have to say on this. Authority, though, develops humility in our life. If you can't be led, you can't lead. David couldn't become king till he could follow a king. And catch this, he was following a bad king. <laughs> you say, well, I'll, I'll follow authority as long as I agree with it. That is a rebellious spirit. 
And David captures humility. In fact, it's interesting. He not only honors Saul, he never throws a spear back at Saul. But later on in his life, Saul is wounded in battle and a, a warrior comes along and kills Saul. And this man comes to David, he's really excited, and tells him, I killed your enemy Saul, the king, so you can be king. And I want you to see how thankful David is for that. And David said to the young man who brought him the report, where are you from? I'm, from, I'm the son of a foreigner from Amalekai. He answered, and David said to him, weren't you afraid to lift your hand and destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of his men and said, go strike him down. So he struck him down and he died. Mm, how many know the Old Testament? Put, eat, amen. You know, it's real, you know. I think, so think of this. He says, aren't you so happy that I took care of your problem? And David says, no, 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 because I don't run with rebellious crowds. In fact, by the way, David, who's going to become king, kills the man because it doesn't make much sense to have a king killer in the palace of a king. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. If somebody else talks about other people to you, they'll talk about you to other people. And one of the things I realize we learn from authority, and I know this is unpopular, is that, oh, keep going, is that authority develops our associations. So let me say this. You may not be an open rebel, but if you hang out with open rebels, you're a rebellious spirit. All right. Sorry. Authority is not cramping my style. It's covering my life, you know. I learned this. My, my dad had a business. My grandpa had a business. And I grew up working in their family business. And I, I would tell them, this customer is so rude. I'm going to tell this customer how I feel. And they would say, when the customer's wrong, you're going to treat them with honor and dignity and respect. And you're going you're gonna to like it. And it just developed a, a submission to authority to me in my life. And, and I just want to say this, especially to every younger person. The blessing of God falls not on perfect leadership, but on a younger generation that honors their father and mother. Because this extends beyond just teachers and schools. It starts in the home. In fact, God was really clear. I should preach this on Mother's Day. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Okay. I want to just say this. Do you know that even Jesus in his earthly life submitted to his mom and dad? He was God. <laughs> I want you to think of this. Do you remember the story in uh, Jesus is at the temple? He's 12 years old and his mom and dad leave and he stays behind and they, they can't find him for two days. And his mom finds Jesus and she's so frustrated. Where are you? And he says, oh, don't you know, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. So this is God, Jesus telling his mom, I'm supposed to be out my, my father's business. And guess what his mom says? Get in the van. We're leaving. <laughs> I'm mom, as the king of the universe, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. Get in the van. And guess what God does? He gets in the van. In fact, he's 30, 30 years old and he hasn't performed a miracle. And he's at a, he's at a wedding where they run out of wine. And his mom says to him, Jesus, you should do something about this. And he says, I, it's not even my time to do miracles yet. And she says, I need you. And we don't know exactly how she knew Jesus could, could multiply wine. I sometimes wonder, is that how he, they grocery shop? Maybe just growing up, Mary would say to Jesus, do something. And he'd be like, you want Wegmans? You want Kroger? You want Publix? What you want? Boom. And the cover just boom, you know. Maybe that's not in the Bible, so don't write that down. But somehow she knew Jesus could do this. And Jesus said, it's not my time. And Mary said, but somebody's got to save this wedding. And Jesus stand, stood up and he multiplied. Here's all I'm saying. If God could submit to his mother, you can too. And I'm telling you, this is a principle in life because the Bible actually says it's the only command with a promise. The only one of the Ten Commandments that says you'll live longer is if you honor your father and mother. My mom used to put it this way, because if you don't, I'll kill you, okay? 
I'm, here's what I'm saying. There, we need to raise up a generation of people who make it cool again to honor. In fact, the Bible warns that rebellion against human authority is a serious sin with serious consequences. So here's the deal. I'll just tell you how it works in my life. I don't hang out with pastors that only talk about other pastors. Because I don't want to be a part of a crowd that, that because uh, they're like, well, let's talk about all the other pastors in town. And what can I pray for you about? Mm -mm. I'm, I'm not, because I'm, here's the point. If we don't, if we don't, if we let rebellion in our association and dishonor in our relationships, it, 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 it just, in fact, let me give you a phrase we taught our students last year. And I love that we're raising up a generation of students. I don't know if you know this. There is a whole generation of young people that all they do is talk bad about the church. And we are raising up a generation at this church that love the local church. How many know the local church is imperfect? Come on, right? But it's described as the bride of Christ. And how many know if you talk bad about someone's wife long enough, they don't particularly like that, okay? And so we taught them this phrase this year. And don't worry, next week we'll get nice. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. Come on, let's say that together. Honor up, honor down. Come on, honor Come on, one more time. Honor up, honor down, honor all around. I'm going to honor my boss. I'm going to honor my worker. I'm going to honor people above me. I'm going to honor people below me. I'm going to just set a tone. I'm going to bring honor back and dignity and value. C.S. Lewis says, every human being is made in the image of God. And when we know that, we bring honor back. I'm pleading us as a church to be a church that stands against the individualism and excessive individualism of a culture and stay. we still honor authority. We still have a culture of respect and appreciation. We treat our elders. Elders different, we speak different, we have honor in this house. Is anybody with me today? Like honor in the house of God, right? My kids say, Dad, but what if you're not perfect? And I say, That's the point. One day you'll have kids and you can be not perfect. But okay, that's a set, that's a different one. All right, here it is. Let's bring out the, the keyboard and it will make it sound spiritual, and I'll close today, okay? So at the very end of, um, of Saul's life, as Saul dies, and David, you would think David would throw a party. I want to show you his attitude. Saul is dead, his en enemy. And after the death of Saul, David returned. And David took up this lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan. Saul and Jonathan in life, they were loved and admired. And in death, they were not parted. Look at this. Weep for Saul, he tells daughters of Israel. He says, because Saul did some good things in your life. And he literally says, how the mighty have fallen. Jonathan lies slain. Jonathan, you were dear to me. How the mighty have... Here's what I want you to see. Even in the middle of uh, David's enemy, Saul dying, he didn't rejoice. He had a softness of heart. He had a softness of heart. I feel like one of the things God put on my heart that God wants to work through people is people who have a soft heart. Or, or you could put it this way. Here's the fourth thing David maintained is instead of getting bitter, he got better. How many know there are always reasons to be bitter in life? Anybody? <laughs> like there are reasons to be upset. There are reasons to be judgmental. There are reasons to be frustrated. But David maintained a softness of heart that even when his, even when his enemy was destroyed, he had a tenderness of heart. I purposed in my heart to not get bitter. I was sitting with my in-laws, have an incredible pastor in uh, Wesley Chapel, Florida, and I got to sit with him. He was 72 years old 
Ed Russo, great leader. And I asked him, I said, how long he's been pastoring this one church for 35 years? I said, tell me the secret. 35 years in one church, thriving church, impact. Tell me the secret. He said, oh, all the other older pastors got bitter. <laughs> I just decided I wasn't going to get bitter. And I said, okay, that's great. What else? And he said, no, I, I actually don't have much else for you. I'm just so grateful and thankful and appreciate. He had a soft spirit. How many know there's something about somebody who has a soft spirit, right? And, and in fact, bitterness is unbelief in the promise of God. That's what it is in our life. It's not trusting God. And here's what God did. Catch this. God allowed King Saul as an imperfect person into David's life to shape him. So I want to ask you to take a second and think of this question. Is there anybody in your life that bothers you? Just limit it to 10. Okay, i just give you a second. Close your eyes, okay? I want you to think, who, who in my life bothers me? And don't point. Uh... So with our eyes closed, if you, get, if you get, you identify at least one person in your life, they're in your, you know, your, your sphere of influence that bothers you. When you get that one person to mind, raise your hand all over this room. When you get that one person to mind, raise your hand. Anybody? And if any of you don't have this person in your life, come talk to me. Uh, I'll help you connect you. So let me, let me just say something that I think could be true. Could it be that God put someone in your life that you don't like to develop some things in your soul? Look at this. King David, King Saul sought to destroy David, but his only success was that he became the instrument of God to put to death the Saul who roamed in David's own soul. Meaning Saul was an imperfect king that David lived under and David learned how to not be that kind of king through a human relationship he didn't like. You mean to tell me, pastor, that God takes people through challenging circumstances to accomplish his will. Yeah. And next week's just going to be all encouragement, happy, clappy, sappy, tap our heels, no human authority. No. But for this week, I got to teach the whole counsel of God. God sometimes puts us in the field to test our character, to develop patience, to develop uh, uh, maturity, to teach us to honor authority. Or maybe you've heard this great old quote. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man. When God wants to mold a man to play the noble part. When he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man. That all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him. And with mighty blows converts him. Into, tri into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. Well, his tortured heart is crying, and he lifts beseeching hands. How he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he uses whom he chooses, and which every purpose fuses. But every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Literally, the whole plan of God is to shape us and transform us and work us but he does it through sandpaper and the hammer and the waiting 
But when he does the work in us, oh, the work he'll do through us. Would you bow with me all over this room? In just a second, I'm going to turn it over to Scott's edition. No one's looking around, but here's the truth. God brings us sometimes through struggles in order to let the saving power of Jesus do a work in our lives. David ultimately could only be used of God because he had a relationship with God. So I'm going to be done in one minute, but I wonder this weekend if there's anybody in this room that you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God. Or maybe you've walked away from your relationship with God. And today you say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to come back home. Nobody's looking around. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. But you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure about my relationship with God. Just raise your hand up high. Say, pray for me. Yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure where I'm at in my relationship with God. Today I need to come back home. Just raise your hand up and put it back down quickly. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, young man. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not sure where I'm at in my relationship with God. Would you pray for me? Yes, thank you so much. I'm going to ask one more time, not to be emotional. I'm not dragging it out. I just sense the power of the Holy Spirit in this room and God drawing people. And One last time, anybody else here? You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Right where you're seated, you pray a prayer that goes something like this. God, I know that you died on a cross and rose from the dead to give me a new start. And today I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner, that I've come up short. Believe in my heart that God, you sent a savior for me. So today I want to come home to you. I want to give you my life and my heart, all my imperfections. I believe that you can forgive me because of what Jesus did on the cross. So come into my life, forgive my sin give me a new start. Today I'm turning away from my own plan for my life and I'm turning to your plan for my life. Rescue me. Take away my shame. Give me a new start. And by your grace, I'll follow you all the days of my life. For I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.